Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. Today, we are kicking off a three-week series on vision. I mean, what a great year to be an optometrist. 2020, are you kidding me? Man, you have built-in marketing, built-in media for it. And uh, we're kicking off a three-week series, and this we're going to be focusing on three things. Seeing God, then week two, seeing ourselves, and then week three, we're going to focus on seeing our neighborhood, seeing our city. So this week, we're focusing on what? God. Seeing God. Week two, we're focusing on seeing ourselves, and then week three, we're going to focus on seeing our neighborhood, seeing our city. Not bad. Some of you are like, well, so. All right, so to kick it off, we're going to look at Proverbs 29. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Proverbs 29, probably one of the most famous verses as it relates to vision, but also probably one of the most misunderstood verses as it relates to vision. And as we dig into this, I thought it would be good for us to look at several different versions of this. And just as a word of uh, instruction and encouragement, that as you're reading the Word of God, when you come upon a passage of Scripture that you really want to understand, uh, it's, it's good to look at different versions for this. So we're going to read the first half in three different versions, and then we're going to look at the, entire, uh, the entirety of it um, in a fourth version. But would you just read this with me? First King James, read this. Where there is no vision... The people perish. That's King James Version. That's my dad's favorite version for all the King James people out there. And then the next one, read with me. When people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. And then from the New International Version. Where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint, but blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instructions. So there's three versions, and then we're going to look at a fourth. This is from the message. Read this with me. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. And then if people can't see what God is doing, what do they do? They stumble all over themselves. How many of you, maybe you've had that experience before, you feel like you're stumbling over yourselves. But then it says, but when they attend to what he reveals, to what God reveals... They are the most blessed. So, Father, this is your word. Let it be a light unto our feet, a lamp unto our path. Show us now as we walk forward, looking to you. Help us to know you more. And the Lord, speak to us. Show us how we need to step out in obedience, trusting you. And we give you all the glory. And everyone said together, amen, amen. So we're talking about vision. So first of all, let's just talk about first, what does vision mean? What does it mean? And, and if you're concerned about looking up, don't worry, that's a 3D image. So it's kind of a, a 3D series, and you may not have a pair of 3D glasses like mine, but if you come to a vision meeting, you might get a pair. Well, vision, it basically, is, it just means that we're simply, it's, it's, it's our ability to see, it's our ability to see the world around us. And vision, looking a little bit deeper, vision speaks to the present, to where we are, But vision also points us to where we're going. See, vision, it speaks to where we are, but it instructs us as we walk towards the future that God has given to us. But seeing can be difficult at times, can't it? 
See, we look through a lens, and we know this. I'll never forget when Steph and I, we had incredible premarital counseling. And one of the first things that Dr. Strand talked about is he talked about how that both Stephanie and I, we're looking through a lens. And our lenses are a little bit different because our lenses, though in the beginning God gave us these perfect lenses. He set us in the Garden of Eden, but then sin comes in and it clouds it up, doesn't it? How many of you have experienced that? And maybe you've been talking to somebody where you're looking at the same thing, but you're coming to two totally different conclusions. Have you ever experienced that, or is it just me? Maybe everyone just disagrees with me. But as you walk through, we're given this lens, but sometimes we can be looking at the same thing and have different interpretations of what it means. See, it's almost like when someone drops their iPhone. Maybe you've had this experience, and you drop the iPhone. In the beginning, it was great. You could see everything. You could scroll, and then it cracked. Anybody right now, you're just reliving those experiences of loss all over in your life, right? Yeah, I can see some nods in the head. It's like this, this is what sin does to us. In the beginning, we can see clearly, but as we sin, which is a rejection of God, a turning away from God, then all of a sudden our lens develops cracks in it. It becomes very difficult for us to see. And I think a lot of times this challenge is often reflected in our language and the words that we use for each other. See, the world that we're in today is becoming increasingly more and more difficult to communicate to each other, isn't it? It's like, Houston, we have a problem here. See, the the challenge comes up because words in themselves have no meaning. The meaning from the words that we use have a context by attachment. So as the words are attached to something to describe it, that's where the meaning comes out. And I'll just kind of give you a a couple of examples today. So, So one word that has become increasingly difficult in the culture and the context that we are in is the word father. Because see, when I use the word father, and specifically as it relates to God, that he is my heavenly father in heaven, see, I relate that to my father here on earth. My father here on earth was a wonderful dad. He was always there for me. He took me hunting. He took me fishing. Uh, He was the one who taught me first how to read music, a big passion of my life. I had a wonderful dad. But I have friends that when I mention the word father, it doesn't bring up those images. It brings up a very hurtful relationship. I have friends that they have yet to meet their biological father. So when we use the word father, it brings up two totally different feelings in us, doesn't it? Does that make sense? So the word father becomes problematic. Another word that can be tough for us is the word Christian. Have you ever been at work or been somewhere and told somebody that you were a Christian and you got kind of a pushback from it? See, Christian originally meant that you were Christ-like. The word Christian was given from people who they knew what Jesus was like, and then they saw his followers and they said, you are like Christ. But see, Christian in our context today has taken on a lot of, difficult, a lot of different meanings. So to where a lot of people, they've even, instead of using the word Christian, they've used the word Jesus follower because they're trying to bring it back because people, they've either had a bad experience with, with a Christian or they've heard about something or they saw a Christian portrayed in, in, in a certain way, whether it's on media or on Facebook, that is causing the pushback from the word. So see, language is very difficult. And this all comes into our vision as we communicate, as we talk about things. That's why we're kicking off this series that as it relates to vision, that vision always begins with God. See, to have a great vision, it requires God. And as we look at this, as we go into this word vision, I think it's important to go back to the original language, which is Hebrew. And that Hebrew word for vision, it means this. 
Vision means a communication from God to be communicated to others. So when the Bible talks about vision, it's talking about this word from the Lord, this word that God has given us, and he's given it to us to be communicated to others. This word vision is also, it's a covenant agreement, meaning that, that, that the action establishes a relationship. See, when God speaks to you, when you hear God, there is an agreement that is built into that. Because God is speaking to you for the purpose of healing you and for pushing you into action to mobilizing you for the purpose that he has for your life. See, vision is about hearing God and obeying him and then proclaiming what he says. We don't just hold on to it. Jesus gave a lot of lessons about that. And see, when God speaks to us, when God speaks through us, there's a change that happens in us. Have you ever experienced that? That the Lord has spoken to you in a powerful way and it changes you. You're no longer the same. You've had this encounter with God. Moses experienced this. That's why as it relates to vision, without God, we are only seeing in part. Everything can be blurry. It's like that 3D image. We feel like we're we're, we're missing out on something. Have you ever gone to a 3D movie and you didn't get those 3D glasses? You didn't get a pair of these? Has anyone ever gone to a 3D movie? Do you know what 3D is? Right? That's the one you go and you see it and there's something reaching out to you and you feel it's right there. There's this, there's this whole dimension to it. I think a lot of times as it relates to our walk with God and this whole aspect of vision is that when we're not experiencing God, we're only experiencing it in this one dimension where God's saying, no, I want to know you. I want you to experience the fullness of who I am. This is that 3D image that we're talking about. So see, vision is all about God, and seeing, that's why seeing God is extremely important. And as we look at this proverb here, it says that without a vision, we what? We perish. We perish. I'm not talking about the snow kind that's happening up in the northeast where I come from. Right now up in the northeast, there are, there are, are literally houses that are covered with snow. Isn't that amazing? I saw a friend, I was like, man, are you doing okay? He's like, man, I'm off work, I got my skis out, I'm having a great time. See, when we look at that word perish, and again, going back to that original Hebrew language, when the writer of Proverbs is saying perish, what he means is it's out of control. It's someone you're running wild. It means that it's a life that is not led by God, so they've opened themselves up to disorder in every way. And even in some context, it's a signal of somebody who is diseased and is also an infectious person. That's what that word perish means. It's someone that your life is out of control, it's out of order. That you're even, you're opening yourself up to disease, and it's an infectious disease that when you do not have that vision from God, you're, you run the risk of even affecting those around you. Commentator Matthew Henry, he says it this way. He says that, that this word is perish, it's like a person who's been stripped of their armor. They are continually exposed to danger. That when we do not have this vision, we are vulnerable to everything that is around us. There's no armor around us. See, when we lack this vision, we make ourselves vulnerable, but we also isolate ourselves. When we don't have this word from the Lord, we are isolating ourselves away. That's why when it relates to this word of vision, it's an, I think it's helpful for us to think about vision being like a bridge. Like a bridge. Water, I will lay. Terrible. Okay. All right. There you go. I've got jet lag. I got a lot of songs in my head right now. Okay. So when we think about vision, when we think about vision, I think it's important to think about vision as being this bridge. And this is a picture of, of the Brooklyn Bridge. 
See, when we think about a bridge, what does a bridge do? A bridge enables us to get from one place to the other. Here in Seattle, currently, I think the city of Seattle manages something like 150 bridges. That's just within Seattle proper. Now, imagine the city of Seattle, just the city of Seattle, without bridges and trying to get downtown to work tomorrow. Can you imagine what that would look like? See, bridges are significant. They, they help us get from one place to, to the other, but they also connect communities with one another. And a lot of time, bridges, they often help those who are marginalized and those that are without. See, a great example of this is the Brooklyn Bridge. The Brooklyn, the, the Brooklyn Bridge, which I actually had the, uh, had, had, had the opportunity to actually walk across and, and uh, got to see. It's, it's amazing. It was completed in 1883. And when they write about the Brooklyn Bridge, they write, up, they, they write about how it actually transformed the city of Brooklyn. See, previous to 1883, historians describe Brooklyn as being this backwater community that was separated from the bustling New York City. But when the Brooklyn Bridge was built, Brooklyn's population, it grew from 580,000 people to over a million people in just 15 years. What was happening? See, the bridge enabled it now to be connected to New York City, and it began to thrive. People could now go in, they could work, and they were bringing those dollars back to Brooklyn for building homes, establishing businesses, and causing Brooklyn to flourish. I've had the opportunity to spend time in Brooklyn, and it's a wonderful city. It is growing. It is connected to New York. See, this, is, this was the life of Jesus, this whole idea of building bridges. This, I think, is a great model for what Jesus did. Jesus stepped into a culture that was very isolating as it talked about its religion. But when Jesus stepped in, he began building these bridges to everybody around him. He built bridges to the religious community, to the Jewish leaders, but he also built bridges out to the Gentiles. He built, uh, he built bridges to, to the wealthy. He built bridges to the poor. He built bridges to those who believed in him and those who were yet to know about him. Jesus, he built bridges to the watering wells. This is where he met the Samaritan woman. He was constantly building bridges, constantly inviting people. People who were separated from God and couldn't even imagine a life with God. This was the bridge-building nature of Jesus Christ. See, the bridges that Jesus built, they even provided a strong eyewitness account of the life of Jesus that is irrefutable. Even people that struggle with believing in God, it is hard for them to deny that Jesus existed because he lived it out in front of everybody. He didn't come to just one community, but he lived it everywhere. It strengthened the account. And I think for us, it shows a model that for us, that we're called to live our life out in front of everyone, to be connecting, to be reaching out to people. He even reached out to a tax collector. That's important this time of year, isn't it? Remember Matthew? Jesus built a bridge to him. Matthew had no way, no dream that he could ever connect and be a part of what he saw. But Jesus built a bridge to him. He said, Matthew, I'm going to your house today. And he called him as one of his own. This was the bridge that Jesus was building. And I think we need to pay attention to this. See, this is our calling. This is our methodology. This is the how-to manual. That as we talk about living for Christ in the culture that we are in, I think the bridge gives us a great metaphor for what it means. It's that bridge-building nature. What would Jesus do? What Jesus did, he built bridges to everybody around him. He was constantly reaching out to people who are isolated. We need to pay attention to this. But we also need to be reminded that how we do this is by seeing God. Remember, the, remember this verse here? 
It says, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, to what God reveals, he is most blessed. So how do we see God? I think it's important for us to, first of all, acknowledge that seeing God is not about agreeing with God. It is not enough for us to have this right opinion. I love this quote by John Wesley, and and while I was over in England, I actually had an opportunity to go to his church and stand in in his pulpit. And it was amazing the work that John Wesley has done there in Bristol. Here's what John Wesley said. He said, orthodoxy or right opinion is at best a very slender part of religion. A person can have a right opinion of God without either love or one right temper towards him. Satan is proof of this. We can have a right opinion about God, but have no connection. See, seeing God is about obeying. It is about attending to what he reveals to us. It is about experiencing him. It is about knowing him. We, we can't just gather here week after week and have right opinions and even having right teaching about who God is. We need that. But it's all for the purpose of experiencing God, of knowing God. I want to show this, this Richard Blackaby quote to you. Richard, Richard Blackaby says, Merely knowing about God will reveal, will leave you unsatisfied. Truly knowing God only comes through experience as he reveals himself to you through his word as you relate to him. See, just knowing about God will leave you unsatisfied. Have you ever met anybody like that? I meet people like this on a pretty regular basis where they know about God. See, we are in a Google environment. We can get information very easily, can't we? It may not be the right information, but we have access but if all we do is merely know about God, we will be unsatisfied because we're, we're living so far below. We're enacting what C.S. Lewis says, that we're so easily pleased, we're content with so little, and God has so much more for us. And I think sometimes we back away from that experienced nature because we've seen bad examples. Have you seen bad examples of people who kind of just live over, out of experience and it kind of gets out of hand and there's, there's abuse that takes place? That's where it comes back to this foundation of God, being founded on God. See, it's not enough for me just to know that I'm married. It's not enough just for my kids to know that, yeah, dad's married to mom. They need to see that I love my wife. It's not enough for my kids just to know that I love them. It's good to tell them, and I need to tell them that I love them. But they need to experience a father's love. They need to see what happens when times are tough. Is dad there for me? They need to experience that love that I have for them and not to just know about it. Are you, are you getting what I'm saying? This is the same thing as it relates to our Heavenly Father, even more so. This is what he has for us. See, God, he, he didn't just give us a book. He gave us his spirit to speak, to come alive in us. As we read these words, they come alive in us. As I take this Bible and I read it and I say, God, reveal to me what you're saying here. His spirit connects with me. It fills me. It enables me to understand it. It enables me to see God. Let's come back to that bridge analogy again. As it relates to the bridges, 
the strength of the bridge, do you know where it's found? It's found in the foundation. The strength of the bridge, and this is actually a shot of the Brooklyn Bridge being built. And it's a fascinating story. But the strength of every bridge is found in the foundation. The main cause for bridges failing is the foundation wasn't done right. When the waves came, when the waters came, it was swept away. And I think a lot of times, I think we even see this downtown with all the construction going on. It seems like there's so much digging going on and there's so much activity, but we're not seeing anything happen above ground. See, it's that whole truth that the taller the building, the deeper the what? The foundation. The taller the building, the deeper the foundation. See, God is doing a work in us. He's doing a work in your life. And I think so many times we get frustrated and we say, God, I don't see anything. I'm ready for some walls to go up. I'm ready for a roof to go up. I'm ready to put my flat screen in the man cave. I'm ready to build a she shed in the backyard. And God's saying, you know what? we got to get the foundation right first. Have you ever walked into a house where the foundation was off? When we were in Jackson, Mississippi, we walked into this house one time. And it was a great deal. In my heart, I was like, God, let this be the house because this is a cheap house. And it looked beautiful from the outside. It was sitting on a golf course, which means nothing to me, but I have friends who love to golf, and I'm like, they can come visit me. But as soon as we opened the door, we looked back, and the window was like this. The foundation was built on clay. The footings didn't go deep enough. And so now they had this beautiful home with a beautiful view that you had to turn your head to see. It's a great illustration for us, isn't it? See, God is building our foundation. He's digging our foundation deep because the work that he has to do, the work that he wants to do in our life, it requires that foundation work. So why do some bridges wash away? Because we know this. We know the foundation is important. We have enough experience in our life. We know how important foundations are, but yet we see these foundations that have been rushed through. I think one of the biggest challenges and one of the biggest reasons for foundations being done wrong in our lifetime is that we're, we are a distracted people. We are a highly distracted people. You can look at bridges that have been built across America, and when they failed, you can often go back and see how somebody rushed it, they wanted to do it quicker, and they wanted to do it cheaper, and they wanted it now. That kind of sounds like us sometimes, doesn't it? Lord, I want that. I want it quick. I want it cheap, and I want it now. And I want it to be beautiful, and I want it to last forever. And the Lord looks at us and says, are you ready to tear it down and start over? Are you ready to build? Are you ready to not be so distracted? See, Jesus said, he said this in John 8, he said, he said you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. You will know the truth. He is the truth. And the truth will make you free. Do you know what Satan's number one job is in our lives? Is to distract us from the truth that he knows will set us free. If we fully realize, if we just got a glimpse of who God is, and how through Jesus we can be reconciled through him, the level of deep healing that he wants to do in our life, only a fool would not choose that. 
But Satan comes in to distract us. Satan comes in to get us off course. I think one of the primary distractions for our day and age is often a digital distraction. Exhibit A right here. Your iPad, your iPhone, your Apple Watch, even Android users. We see this, don't we? You go to lunch, you go to a coffee house, you go to someone's home, and you are on the phone. We, we all do this. We're all guilty of this. We don't say, hello, I'm a sinner. It's a digital distraction. I'm right there. We all fall victim to this. But I think as it relates to our own lives and just digging a little bit deeper, and this, this proverb says it, that without vision, what do we do? We stumble over ourselves, that often we're the biggest distraction. And just to get a little personal here today, probably one of the biggest distractions in my life is my own voice, the voice that I use to speak to myself. Anybody relate to this? See, from an early age, I learned how to criticize myself. I'm not good enough. I'm not talented enough. I was really overweight as a child. And so I learned how to criticize myself. There was an ongoing conversation that anytime somebody didn't want to play with little Dwayne, anytime some, something didn't happen for me, it's all my fault. It's all about me. It's all condemnation. And as I grew, there were periods that I would kind of break away from that. But it's still that insecure voice that says, you're no good, you're no good, Dwayne, you're no good. And it's something that I've really had to pray through and to kind of walk through. But I feel like I really had a breakthrough while I was over in England. I was, uh, last Sunday morning, I was, we, we, we went to uh, several di- different churches and saw so many different models of reaching the city. But I got to go to Nikki Gumbel's church, Holy Trinity Brompton. Have, have you heard of Nikki Gumbel? If you've ever been to the Alpha, yeah, there you go. There, you're awake. You turn off your phone. All right, so I saw Nikki Gumbel. And he was there, and they were talking about Alpha, and he had Mike Pavliacci. That's not his last name, but it, sound, it sounded like Pavliacci. And uh, <laughs> he was the founder of Soul Survivor UK. And he was talking about this. And just from my seat, as we began to pray, I felt the Lord speak to me. He said, Dwayne, we, 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 we got to deal with this a little bit more. And the Lord just led me in a prayer. You know how the Holy Spirit teaches us to say when we don't know what to say? And he led me in this prayer of, Lord, my voice is yours. I surrender to you. Who am I that I have the right to speak to myself? Lord, this voice is yours. I surrender to you. Who am I that I have the right to speak to myself? See this body? The body that you're in, it is now a temple that the Holy Spirit lives in when we surrender our life to God. Who am I to criticize the temple that the Lord lives in? And I think for so many of us, that's where we sit. Because we've had these experiences that have happened. We've had this hurt that have happened. Celebrate Recovery calls it hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And we all have them in different ways. This was one of mine. And insecurity will destroy you every time. How many of you are going, I've experienced that. Anybody here experienced it? You're going to let me be up here alone today. Right? (laughs) 
It's that voice, isn't it? Let me just ask this. How many that you've struggled with how you talk to yourself? Just lift your hand loud and proud. Come on. Be a friend to me today. And now keep, keep your hand up. I want everyone to look, look around. Do you see how the enemy works in our life? I'll lift up both hands and I'll lift up this. This is the voice of the enemy in us. There are two voices in this world. There's, there's the voice of our father and there's the voice of Satan. Satan is out to distract, to attack, and to bring every experience into your life to make you think that you're no good. You can't trust anybody. You can't trust those church people. But the voice of the heavenly father comes in and says, you are mine. You're a child of God that I formed, that I hand fashioned in the very image of God. What right do I have to criticize God's handiwork? That's where God moved in mind. I'm like, what right do I have to speak to myself? Now, in a secularism-ridden world, it's like, it's all about me. It's iPhone. It's iPad. It's i-everything. And God's saying, no. I died for you. You are my child. It's been called by my name. See, when we get into that I nature, it is a slippery slope of destruction because we were made to live with God for his spirit to be in us. We were made to know his truth to set us free. But we're so often distracted by that voice. We're so often distracted by that voice. So how do we break through this? How do we focus on God? Well, that's one of the emphasis of this week, and it's really the emphasis of our life. One of the biggest things that we do to focus on God is through prayer and fasting. It's prayer and fasting. Now, these are very elementary things, and there's sometimes over the years, I'll never forget as a kid being in church when my pastor would talk about prayer, I would just be like, ugh. See, I used to think that prayer was a boring thing. It was something that, how does anything change there? Because, see, I hadn't experienced God. I knew about God as a kid, but I hadn't experienced God. I hadn't experienced everything that the Lord had for me. And then the Lord, he filled me with his Holy Spirit. He began speaking to me. He began pulling things away in my life. And as I began to pray, I began to see this radical change because when God speaks to you, he revolutionizes your life. He does things in you that you couldn't do on your own. See, when you jump in the, in the ocean, you're going to get wet. And that was the experience that I had. Not perfect, but now filled with the life of God. See, to pray is to change, Richard Foster says. Charles Spurgeon, I read this wonderful book, book about Charles Spurgeon while I was over there, and Charles Spurgeon talked about there's no harvest in the, in the pulpit unless there's plowing in the closet, which means that in our life, if we're looking for this harvest, if we're looking for this thing to go on, it all starts with our prayer life and saying, God, what would you have me do? As I'm loving my kids, my prayer life needs to just go through the roof of God. Help me to love my kids, work in my kids' life. As they go to school, as they go with their friends, lead me, Lord, in this. This is that, the work of prayer, of praying together. Scottish theologian P.T. Forsyth, he says that prayer is to religion what original research is to science. 
prayer is to religion, what research is to science, that as we go about knowing God, it is through that avenue of prayer, of sitting in the presence of the Lord, of seeking him where God speaks to us. Jesus did this. Jesus withdrew all the time to pray, to get alone as the Son of God. If anyone had an excuse not to pray, it was Jesus. How many here you've ever kind of failed in your prayer life? I'm holding my hands. This is not rhetorical. I've, there are times I've been like, oh. See, God is pulling us in. He is pulling us in. Richard Foster went on to say, if we are unwilling to change, then we will abandon prayer as a noticeable characteristic of our life. See, prayer is a sign that I want to change. I'm not there yet. God is still doing his work in my life. And then next to this that we see modeled in life with Jesus is that aspect of fasting. Fasting is, simp- is simply the removal of all things except God. The removal of all things except God. You want to see the things that own you, the things that control you? Try fasting. Try fasting media. Try fasting whatever your habits are and say, God, I just want to focus on you. See how your withdrawals are. I've experienced them. See, fasting is the removal of all things but God. This is why Jesus, he started his sermon on the mount, his most famous sermon by saying in Matthew 5.3, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Poor in spirit meaning that you've emptied yourself of all things but God. Why are they blessed? For they shall see God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, that rejection of all things but God. See, so many times in our lives, we're looking for all the answers. We're saying, God, give me an answer. Give me an answer. I want an answer now. Here's what I'm here to tell you. If you seek God, the answers will find you. Who's the possessor of all the answers? God. Mark Batterson says this in his book, The Circle Maker. He says, forget about just trying to get the answers all the time. A lot of times we, we, we go to God like he's just this answer machine. That, like, like he's Google. is so much more than Google. He says, seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. That is the answer. There are so many times in my life I've been saying, God, tell me which way to go. Which way, where, where should I go? And God just says, seek me. Find me. When you're with God, the answers find you. God has led me down paths that if I knew the answer, I would not have gone down that path. Have you been there before? As we go into this 2020, the Lord is calling us to a deeper walk. This walk of saying, you can have it all, Lord. Every part of my world, take this life and lead on. This heart that is now yours. We sang this earlier. We sang this earlier. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? As we head into a time of response, there are two ways to respond this morning. Two ways to respond for someone. You, you may be here today and you're not walking with Jesus. Or maybe you used to walk with Jesus and you're trying to get back in the flow. Your response today is responding to Jesus, accepting him as your Savior. 
receiving him into your life. Whether for the first time or rededicating yourself. But the other response that I feel the Lord would have us do today is that for some of you, you've allowed a lot of distractions to come into your life. Whether it's a hurt, a habit, a hang-up, something there, even a good thing. See, Satan will often use a good thing to become the thing in our lives. And the Lord's looking at you right now and saying, are you ready to get rid of it? Are you ready to remove every distraction? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's digital device. Whatever it is. What are the things that are distracting you? And I believe the Holy Spirit's speaking to you right now, putting a finger on that. Amen. Can we just bow our heads before the Lord and invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us today? Holy Spirit, speak to us. Speak to us, oh God. Lord, reveal to us the things that are getting in the way. We don't want to walk through this year stumbling over ourselves, but Lord, give us a fresh vision of who God is. Speak to us. Show us. Speak through us, to our families, to our workplace, to the school, to our homes. Speak to us, oh God. And if you're here today and that that first response is you, that you want to give your life to Christ or you want to rededicate your life to Christ. I just want to lead us all in this prayer and I, I, I invite invite all of us to say this because this is a good prayer for us to say. But if you want to give your life to Christ now or you want to rededicate your life, just say these simple words and if you don't mean the words, they mean nothing. But if you mean them, they will change your life forever. Let's pray this together. Jesus Christ, say it together. Jesus Christ, I believe in you. I believe that you came and died for me. Forgive me of my sin. Fill my life. I want to live for you. Now lead me in your ways, oh God. My life is yours. I will not be distracted by the things of this world. But I will live for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I believe someone said that today. I mean, I know I heard all you guys saying. But I believe there's someone that said that today. For the first time, there's a point of rededication. Now here comes the second part of it. Because the Lord's not going to let you off the hook. How many of you are saying, I know what's distracting me. The Lord's been speaking to me. And there's something distracting me. Just raise your hand. I'm raising my hand. The Lord's been speaking to me. There's something distracting me. And he's speaking to me about what, what it is. I want you to do something really, really bold and really, really scary, especially in Seattle. I want you to join me down here. If you raise your hand and you're like, I want to deal with it, just join me down here. I'm down here. I'm, I'm being distracted. Who would like to join me down here today and say, you know what, I'm done. I want to give it to the Lord. Come on. Amen. Let's hear it for these brave people. Aren't these brave people stepping out? I'm one of you. Come on down. If you're in the balcony, walk on down. This, this is the year to deal with it. We need to see the Lord and just begin to seek him and say, Lord, I surrender it to you, whatever it is. Just call it and say, Lord, I give it to you. 
and want to invite our prayer team. If you would come forward and just lay hands on all of us. Lay hands on all of us and just begin to pray for the removal of distraction. And maybe you didn't raise your hand earlier, but you're like, you know what? There's something in my life that's distracting me and I want to come down. Maybe it's self-talk. Maybe there's something in your life that needs to be removed, a relationship that's toxic. Just continue to come. And prayer team, just begin to pray. Just begin to pray. Lord, we give it to you. You can have it all, Lord. Lord, remove from us, reveal to us the things that are distracting us. Whether it's that negative self-talk, that self-condemnation. You didn't come to condemn, but you came to redeem. So, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, I pray for all my brothers and sisters here. Lord, that you would set us free. You would not, we would no longer be blinded from the truth. But, Lord, it's your truth that sets us free. Let that be alive in us. Let that be alive in us, O oh God. My voice is not mine. It is yours. What right do I have to speak to myself? Holy Spirit, speak to me. Speak to me. Speak to me. We'll just, be, just continue to pray as the worship team leads us today.